morning, everybody. Uh, it's great to see you, and um, glad to uh, be back. I've been away for a few weeks, which has been great. Um, it was a time of uh, rest and study and uh, just kind of catching up on some things, but um, I'm glad to be back uh, to worship together. Uh, if you are new here, welcome to Redemption Church. Uh, we are glad to have you and hope that um, you feel uh, connected right away. And um, if you've been around a while, uh, welcome back. Um, I'd like you to turn to the book of First Thessalonians, chapter 3, where we'll be today. Uh, last week we started a new mini-series where we'll be just for the month of August. And uh, Ben Ritchie, one of our pastors here, preached on uh, this. This is my story, looking at the personal story of the gospel uh, that plays out in each and every one of our lives. The gospel is something we experience personally. We all have a story, a personal story. Uh, today we're looking at this is our story, seeing how our personal stories connect together to form our story together. And over the next couple weeks, we'll see how our stories together tie into God's grand story of redemption, how the gospel plays out uh, throughout human history, and that's expressed personally and in the context of community together. So as you turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, um, we'll be starting in verse 11. Uh, let me pray. Uh, Father God in heaven, Lord, I thank you for your goodness. God, we thank you that you indeed are holy, holy, holy. Uh, God, that you are gracious, that you are a loving Father who throughout human history seeks to rescue your wayward children. Uh, God, to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, to save us, to change us. God, to lead us and, and to take us to where you want us to be. God, I thank you for this morning where we can gather together to worship you through singing, through prayer, and now through the reading of your scriptures and the proclamation of the gospel. God, I pray uh, that we would hear your voice through your word today. God, that your spirit would be at work in our hearts and our minds. God, that you would be transforming us to be more like your son, Jesus. God, that that would be something we experience together personally. God, that that would be something we experience relationally and community. Uh, God, that we could see how our stories connect to your grand story of redemption throughout human history. So, God, I pray that this morning would be used for your glory and for our joy, and that the good news of Jesus would go out to the nations. We thank you in Christ's good name. Amen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We'll start in verse 11 and go into chapter 4. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to live and how to please God, just as you were doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this manner, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. This is God's word. Friends, God 
is changing us and growing us to be more like his son, Jesus. He calls us to a new way of living, both for now and into eternity. And this is good news for us, resting in who God is and resting in who Christ is and what he's done for us and and recognizing how the Holy Spirit shapes us in our daily lives. Over the summer, I um, spent a couple of days in Atlanta and uh, on the set of a movie. And I was able to meet a couple local actors and uh, spending time with them. I had a meal with uh, a, a guy and a girl. We'll call him D and we'll call her K just to save their names from embarrassment. And I was talking to K and D and uh, they found out I was a pastor and they said, yeah, you know, we used to go to church, but, you know, we don't go to church anymore. We kind of had to disconnect from the church community. And in listening to their stories, I heard that Kay talked about being burned by the church because uh, of, of maybe a relationship she had. One of her family members uh, felt outed by the church because of lifestyle issues and choices. And, and she felt like there wasn't enough grace shown to them. And she was very upset that a community of faith did not love and extend grace to her family member or her during a time of need. So she said, I'm done with the church. I need to find community elsewhere. As Kay finished her story, Dee looked at me and said, well, my story is a little different. I disconnected from the church uh, because I just, I just couldn't do it. I tried to be a Christian, but I just I couldn't do it. And I pried a little bit and said, well, what do you, what do you mean you couldn't do the Christian life? And he went on to say uh, this desire to be holy and good and right. And, and every time he tried, he would fail. And he, he felt like a failure when he tried to pray. He felt like a failure when he tried to read. He felt like a failure when he tried to do good things. He felt like a failure constantly because he couldn't live up to this expectation of what he perceived as a holy life. And he wasn't a bad guy. He was actually a really good guy. Did really good things, but he felt like he could not achieve this standard of holiness that he thought it meant to be a Christian in his own. And when I listen to this young man and this woman and, and, and hear their, their disconnect from the Christian life, my heart dropped and it sank. And I thought, this is a very common story. I mean, all of us come in here today with some sort of uh, perception or experience from church and from community. Maybe you're here today and you grew up in a Christian home and you thought, man, it was great. I'm so thankful for the faith I was raised in. Maybe you're here today with some doubts, maybe some angst. Maybe you're like, you know what? My Christian experience kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Maybe you were a rebel. Maybe you have a checkered past. Maybe you have a checkered present. Maybe you're here today burned by the church. Maybe you're here thriving in the gospel. Whatever your story is, I'm glad you're here. We have to see that God welcomes us here together to hear the gospel, to to hear his word, regardless of your past or your present. You may be here today with doubts, fears. You may be a skeptic, a seeker, a cynic, a doubter, a non-believer. I'm glad you're here. Because what I want us to see today is that uh, the role of community in God's mission to grow us in holiness. You see, we often have the misconception that holiness is a standard that we must work to achieve. And maybe like this guy D, you think, you know, I can never be that good, so I'm just going to give up. Or maybe in fear, you're thinking, I have to be that good, otherwise people won't like me, people won't accept me. When I die, the Lord won't love me. Maybe you have those fears. Maybe you have those doubts. I want to tell you the good news that we're going to see in Scripture today is the good news is holiness is not a task that you do. 
Holiness is an identity we receive from God. Holiness is an expression of God's work in us and through us. Holiness is something that God calls us to, shapes us to be, and there's uh, steps of obedience that we live and flesh that out in all all of our lives. So over the next few minutes, I want to unpack this because I don't want us to walk away thinking... Well, I need to do better and try harder if I want to live a holy life. Nor do I want us to despair and say, well, just forget holiness. Let's just anything goes. Also, I want us to see the role of community in the life of holiness together to see how God is shaping us. The Apostle Paul writes this letter to the church of Thessalonica. This is the story that all Christians experience, the story of being drawn into a holy relationship with God and with each other and what that looks like for our life into eternity. Seeing that we are rescued by God's grace to grow together for his glory, for our joy, and that the good news of Jesus would go forth to the nations. It's an epic story that you are a part of. So look with me here. I want us to see... The theme of redemption, being rescued for holiness. The Bible uses this word sanctification. Everybody say sanctification. Man, that was beautiful. Sanctification is a biblical word that is used to describe holiness. It's used to describe both a designation of holiness and also an ongoing process of becoming more and more holy. It's a biblical term that's used in the Old Testament to refer to objects in the temple. It's referred to as, as objects, a, you know, a lampstand that was made holy. It was consecrated. It was identified to be a holy thing for holy purposes. It was meant to be used for God's purposes of worship and displaying his goodness. It's the same word used to describe you and I in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Sanctification is a work of the Holy Spirit in us and through us, something we experience together. So I want to look at, at a few different things in this passage today. The first is this, is that sanctification is an identity we receive from God. Sanctification, meaning holiness, holy living, being holy, is an identity we receive from God. Verse 13, chapter 3, verse 13 says this, that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Right, so we see that, that God's desire for us is to be designated as holy, to have our hearts, our, our identities, our, our innards, our innermost being shaped to be designated as God's purpose, right? God's purpose in your heart, in your being. You are identified, you are sanctified, right? So verse 13 says that it's a work of, of Christ, that he's establishing our hearts blameless in holiness before God before our God and Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Right, I love the word saint in the New Testament, uh, because often, if you're like me, you maybe think that a saint is, is some you know, holy person who is doing holy things, which often is described to that. But, but even before a person does holy things and is labeled a saint, a person has to become a holy person. 
Right? You can't do saintly things and then all of a sudden, oh, now you're a saint because you did those saintly things. Rather, the Bible describes saintliness. Uh, a saint is somebody who has the identity of being holy, being sanctified. Saint is, is what that means. And so we see that the scriptures tell us that to be holy, to be sanctified, is something that, that God, through Christ and his Holy Spirit, does in our hearts. That he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. You see, sanctification is not a task list you do. You do not do X, Y, and Z so that you can be holy. Scripture tells us that God shapes our hearts in holiness. And then, therefore, we are called saints. That he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So you see that holiness, sanctification is something that's done on the inside by God for us. And that gives us a new identity. You see, Scripture also tells us that we, are been, we have been called into this level of holiness. And the Scriptures tell us here uh, that, that we are, are not, it's not something we do, it's not something we achieve. Verse 7 says this, chapter 4, verse 7 uh, says, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. You see, God has called us in holiness. That's another biblical word that I love. Calling can be used for designation and direction. To be called something is like your name. Like, I am called Jeremy. I have been designated as Jeremy. So you can call me and say, hey, Jeremy, come here, and I will come to you. Right? Calling means a designation. It's an identity, but it also means direction. Like when you call me to come here, you say, hey, hey Jeremy, I need you to, to come here. I'm calling you over here. Right? God calls us in holiness. He identifies us as holy people. He identifies us as saints. He identifies us uh, to be sanctified, set apart people for his purposes in designation and direction. It's not achieved, but it's received. It's something that we do because God has done it first in us and through us, through Jesus by his Holy Spirit. What's beautiful about this is this shows us uh, God's goodness to us. Now, we're going to get to the checklist of, what, well, what am I supposed to do? We're going to get to that. Because, yes, our lives are to ripple out effects of obedience and display holiness and saintliness. But we can't get the cart before the horse. It would have been easier for me to hand you a checklist when you walk in and say, today's lesson is about holiness, so uh, next week just come back having read your Bible 20 minutes a day, memorize three chapters of Habakkuk, and then um, I want you to uh, be able to spell sanctification. You know, that could have been your assignment to be holiness, to be holy. Uh, but that's not what the scriptures teach us. It teaches uh, that God establishes our hearts in holiness, that we have been called saints in holiness by God, both in identity and direction. Uh, over the summer, I've been doing a lot of reading. Uh, uh, since I had a few weeks to not preach, I was able to do some uh, personal soul work. There were some books that I wanted to read for my own personal benefit and growth. And I read this great book called Gospel Wakefulness by Jared Wilson. And if you want to read a great book, I would encourage you to read this one. It's uh, especially resonated with me, someone who's grown up in uh, the overchurched yet under-gospeled South, being familiar with church culture uh, and feeling almost numb to the gospel, the good news. And so Jared Wilson in his book, Gospel Wakefulness, says this, our role as new creations is not to achieve the holiness of God, 
but to enjoy it. We begin by receiving it with faith and continue by resting in it by faith. Our calling is to be satisfied with Christ as our debt is satisfied by Christ. You see, the good news of the gospel is we can enjoy uh, God's holiness, God's goodness. We can enjoy God and his goodness, making us new creations, changing our hearts, calling us to be saints. We can rest in Christ's work that he has been the most holy, most sanctified, most righteous man ever on our behalf. Therefore, we don't approach God in fear. We don't approach God in guilt and shame. We don't approach God in pride because we've done this holy checklist. Rather, we rest in the work of Christ and enjoy God's holiness. And that is good news. So the first thing we need to see this morning when it comes to our story together is that we experience sanctification as an identity that we receive from God. Secondly, I want us to see this, is that sanctification is a community experience. It's a personal experience, as Ben preached last week. It's a personal story, but it's also a community thing. It is our story together. Sanctification, growing in holiness, is something that happens together. Verse 12 says this, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. You see, there's instruction throughout Scripture time and time again in the New Testament that believers, Christians, are to do one another's together. You are to love one another, pray for one another, serve one another, submit to one another, encourage one another. Time and time again, Scripture instructs us to one another. You can't one another by yourself. You can't do that. You can't encourage someone else if you were in isolation. You can't be encouraged by someone else if you were in isolation. You can't pray for someone if you don't know their needs. You can't be prayed for if they don't know your needs and struggle. You can't confess sin to one another if you are not confessing sin to someone else. And it's often the case that we, in isolation, because of fear, because of pride, because of inconvenience because of just personal dislike for somebody we step back and say I don't want to one another someone you see scripture says here that that God has called verse 7 of chapter 4 for God has not called us 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 together Uh, The language here is so plural. He's like encouraging, urging you in the Lord Jesus that you receive from us how you ought to live and please God. Those yous are plural. It's like you guys, y'all, y'all live in holiness. God has called y'all. He's called us together to experience holiness. Our hearts are shaped personally, but also our hearts as a corporate identity is something that has to happen. It's easy for us to not tolerate other people's brokenness. To say, look, you know what? That person is is a gossip. I just don't like them, so I'm just done. That that person rubs me the wrong way. That person irritates me a little bit. I just, just want to step away. And often we do that in pride, thinking that person's brokenness is worse than your own. Right? Is it just me that feels that way? I've felt that way. I mean, I, I'm an introvert. I'm a hermit. I like to be left alone. And God gave me four children. <laughs> and I have to repent often of my expression of being an introvert. It's not a sin to be an introvert. 
God made me an introvert, but that's not a crutch for me to be isolated from community. And that's where I want to go. I want to just be left. I love you guys. I don't get your feelings hurt. I mean, I love you. I just sometimes I just want to be left alone. I'm absolutely terrified right now. But God has called us together, right? And so sometimes we can think, well, maybe my brokenness is not as bad as that person's. That person's brokenness irritates me. Or maybe the flip side. Maybe you're thinking, I'm so afraid to share my brokenness with other people because maybe they won't accept me. Maybe they won't love me. Maybe if I confess my sin to someone else, they'll think I'm gross. Right? I just, I just confessed to you guys the sin, and now I'm thinking, no, nobody's ever going to want to go to lunch with me again. I just told them I want to be left alone. They'll say, hey, no problem. We love you. We're going to leave you alone. Don't leave me alone. <laughs> God has put you in my life for my good and put me in your life for your good and each other and each other's life for each other's good. That's what we see in the scriptures. God has called us together to experience sanctification together, to have brokenness together, to come to the foot of the cross and say, we are all messed up. None of us are less messed up than the other. We can't rate each other's holiness. I'm about to get to that in a second. That's, I'm going to try not to talk about that for long because that's one of my pet peeves is when people like rate holiness. Well, he's such a holy person. Well, really? Uh, why? Oh, yeah, he is a holy person because Jesus died for him, period. That's where it ends. So he's holy because he, whatever. I'm not a holy person because of anything I do. I'm holy because God has made me holy in Christ by his Holy Spirit. Amen. And the same is true for you. Sanctification is a community experience. We experience the work of God in Christ by His Holy Spirit in our lives. If you read the book of 1 Corinthians and other parts of the New Testament, you'll see time and time again that the church, that God's community of people, is referred to as a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, there are some instances in 1 Corinthians where where Paul is talking about your body, but there's also instances when he's talking about the corporate gathering of people as the temple, as a dwelling place for God's Holy Spirit, meaning that together the Holy Spirit dwells in us and through us. That's exciting to me. He doesn't say that the Holy Spirit only dwells in you personally. He says the Holy Spirit dwells in us together as a worshiping community. And that's exciting to us. So we have common stories that we see that connect. We have brokenness we all bring to the table. Your brokenness looks different than mine. My brokenness looks different than yours. But the good news is that in Christ we are becoming less broken and more like Jesus. And that's something we need to experience together. How good it is for you to see God working in my life. How good it is for me to see God working in your life. For you to share stories and say, I have this sin struggle, but by God's grace, I'm defeating that sin daily. By God's grace, I'm becoming more patient and less angry, more loving and more generous. By God's grace, I'm becoming less isolated and more connected, more patient, more kind. All of those Holy Spirit things that happen, they happen in community together. I recently read an article in the New York Times. It says, over the last decade, America has become less violent in every way except in the issue regarding suicide. It said suicide increased 35 to 54 percent, nearly a 30 percent increase over the past decade. The article says, Virginia sociologist Brad Wilcox pointed out there's a strong link between suicide and weakened social ties. 
that people, especially men, become more likely to kill themselves when they get disconnected from society's core institutions such as marriage and religion. That's a staggering statistic for me. And that is an extreme example of brokenness. Over the past couple of years, uh, I have seen uh, a, a colleague a couple of years ago, a colleague, I didn't know this guy well, but a colleague I knew, um, one in seminary and then one a couple of years ago uh, through Acts 29 Network in Texas, a guy, uh, two, two guys that I've known uh, who were in ministry uh, committed suicide. And what had happened in both cases were extreme situations of brokenness that were experienced in isolation. They were, they were both experiencing brokenness, uh, but had no one to share the brokenness with. They had no one to, to put their arm around and say, hey, hey, bring me to Jesus. I mean, bring me to the cross. Bring me, comfort me. Encourage one another, pray for one another, love one another. Those one another's didn't happen because these two men were in isolation and had no one to share their brokenness with. I believe these men loved Jesus. I believe these men were called by God. I believe these men belonged to God. They were saints. But they were saints trying to be saints in isolation. And my heart breaks for the outcome. And the statistic shows us that men especially, people in general, but men especially, are becoming more and more isolated. This Secular New York Times article says disconnect from marriage and religion are two of the major factors that people are becoming more isolated. Marriage and religion. I would reframe it and say family and gospel community. Right? These are things we need because community is the context in which the Holy Spirit works. And so if you're here today, I want to ask you, like me, to have a posture of humility and a posture of repentance, to repent from solo holiness. You know what I mean? To say, uh, I mean, we, there's a thousand churches in this town, and there are so many good gospel-centered churches. There are so many good churches. I encourage you to pray for them. But we meet with a group of pastors once a month, and a common thing is just seeing people hop from place to place and hearing, well, I don't like this church, I don't like this church for that, I don't like this church for that. And I would say we need to repent of our standard of what we expect. And as long as the gospel's being preached and we see repentance and belief taking place, dude, plug in. We would love for that to be here, but if God's prying your heart somewhere else, go plug in there and serve there and give there and pray there and love there. Okay? You with me? Do it here, but if not here, somewhere else. Just do it. That's the only do in the gospel of sanctification, I'll just say. It's like God changes your heart. God changes our stories together. But do that. Plug in. Okay, moving on. So God, sanctification is an identity we receive from God. It's something we experience in community together. Thirdly, sanctification is a progressive work of God. This is important. You will never, this side of heaven, in your own strength, arrive at holiness. You will never arrive as holy. God calls you as holy. He identifies you as a saint. He draws you in his holiness. But sanctification is partly designation. You were called holy. But it's also an ongoing progressive work of God his Holy Spirit in you, through you, in this community, through this community. And it's ongoing. Here's the good news about that. We often think holiness 
as uh, programmatic or method, as something we apply, as something we do. But the more I study Scripture, the more I see that it is a process. It is something that God is doing in us and through us. And, and your process and that journey may be faster than mine. Praise be to God. My process may be faster than someone else's. Praise be to God. There's no room for pride in that. There's no room to say, well, you know, I've studied the Bible both in Hebrew and Greek. Does that make me more whole? No. It just meant I was single and had a lot of time on my hands. (laughs) Holiness is not something we arrive at in our own strength. It is a progressive work of God. Look at verse 12 again. I just, I've just been camping out on verse 12 because I think it's pivotal for this whole passage today. We'll start in verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, verse 12, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. Do you, do you see who gets the credit for sanctification there? The Lord. Paul's not writing them and saying, hey, you guys, love better, serve better, pray better. He's saying, no, the Lord, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. Increase is an ongoing thing. It's like a swelling, a growth. Abounding in love is like a a fountain gushing up. It's It's like blueberry bushes coming to a harvest and just thriving and the second you pick one blueberry the next day there's more blueberries to pick right i love blueberries mm. sanctification and my pancakes that's what i gotta say see the lord causes the increase The Lord causes an abounding. The Lord causes love for one another and for all. It's it's the Holy Spirit working in us. You see again down in verse 7. Chapter 4 verse 7 says, For the Lord has not called us to impurity but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. You see, it's the the Holy Spirit. This whole passage just blows my mind. Because you see, it's the work of God the Father in verse 11. It's the work of our Lord Jesus in verse 11 and other verses. It's the work of God the Holy Spirit in verse 8 of chapter 4. It is a Trinitarian thing. Why? It's God the Father, Jesus the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's because that is a perfect picture of divine community. So right there, if God is calling us, calling us, drawing us in, and God is going to work in us and through us, he's doing so the way he does himself in community. I'm going back a point. Back on point three, it's a progressive work of God because the Holy Spirit is dwelling collectively in us. It is not something we arrive. It's not something we do. We grow in holiness together. And the point is that In growing in holiness, we're not making ourselves look good, but we're reflecting God. Right? If we try to be holy on our own, who gets the credit? Me. If I brag about my holy activities, I'm getting credit for what I'm doing. If I brag on your holy things, I'm bragging on what you are doing. It's... 
It's, I mentioned some actors that I met, right? They're background actors, right? They, they, they play in the background behind the stars. If you ever watch a movie, just think Braveheart or something, and you see like a, a whole slew of guys on horses and whatever, those are background actors. You don't know who they are. You know, they're behind Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson is the star. That entourage of dudes on horses are background actors that are probably getting paid nine bucks an hour just to make Mel Gibson look good. They are important. They have a role in the story. Their role in the story, they, they get seen because they're behind Mel Gibson, but their role is to point to Mel Gibson. In the same way, in community, as we grow in holiness, it's not to brag on ourselves. It's not to brag on one another. It is so that we can look to Jesus and he gets the credit. He gets looked at. I, roll the video. Here's a video. Just watch it 90 seconds and it'll make more sense. And look. makes sense now, right? (laughs) Sanctification is an ongoing work of God in us and through us, and the whole purpose of our holiness and sanctification is not to draw attention to ourselves or each other, but to point to the goodness of God. God gets the credit. God gets the glory. And often if we try to out-holy one another, we are distracting the glory of God. We are clumsy in our faith, and in trying to out-holy one another, we are stormtroopers bumping our heads, or we're sweeping air. And it's not good. In the South, especially in an overchurched culture, it's very easy to rate holiness by non-biblical standards. And all it does is upstage the glory of Christ. And so, friends, if you're here today, I would ask you to join me, all of us together, in humbly looking to Christ as the one who is at work in us and through us by his Holy Spirit to make us, uh, to make us holy, to grow us in holiness. It's a progressive work of God. All we bring to the table is our own brokenness, and that's a good thing. The Holy Spirit designates us, directs us, and in the context of community together, he empowers us to live obedient lives that make Christ look good. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. I think that is the most freeing verse when it comes to being a disciple. (laughs) It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. In the Greek New Testament, that is a very emphatic word. It's worthless. 
The flesh is worthless. No, no checklist that we bring to the table. No methodology, no rating system of who's holy and who's not, or who's better in the faith, who's whatever. All we can do is attest to the fruit of holiness that God's Holy Spirit is blossoming within us. And then we tend that fruit in obedience. And the obedient tending, the things that we do because of that fruit, are empowered by the Holy Spirit. So yes, there are things to do because you're holy. Paul says it here in 1 Thessalonians. He says, look, it is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. But you have to see that instruction to do this and not do that comes after the heart has been changed. Because of sanctification, because God is changing your hearts in holiness, because you are, your hearts are blameless in holiness before our God, because you are saints in Christ, because of that, it's God's will, because of his holiness in you and through you, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Does that make sense? We can never get the to-do before the be. We can't get the doing before the being. The being comes first. You are holy in Christ. You are becoming more and more holy by his Holy Spirit. You have been designated as saints by God. And that is good news. Now, because of that, our lives are to look different. You with me? Final point I want us to take away is sanctification. Well, first is an identity. Secondly, it's expressed in community. Thirdly, it's an ongoing, it's a progressive work of God, which is so exciting because you can show up here every day broken and just say, God's working in me. God's working through me. Pray with me. Encourage me. Just, bring, just humbly bring your brokenness to the table and watch God show off. And finally, sanctification is a missional mandate. You know, God is making us holy, growing us in holiness uh, to make himself look good. And that's for the benefit of believers. But it's also for the benefit of those who don't know the good name of Jesus. It's so that people will look and not say, that guy is holy, but that guy was a wreck. But something's different. God must be really good. That's the beauty of the gospel. Verses 12 and 13 say... uh, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. Okay, that's one another language is common for brothers and sisters in Christ. So for one another, may we abound in love for one another and for all. For everybody. Do you love non-Christians? Or do they irritate you because they're just not holy? They shouldn't irritate you because they're not holy. They're not holy because they're not holy. They're not Christians. They, They shouldn't be holy. Once they're holy, they're Christians, and we love them. Once they're, if they're not holy, well, they're not Christians, and we love them. Scripture says God's holiness in us will make us increase and abound in love for one another and abound in love for all, for one another and for all. I can't tell you how often I feel like there's just this non-biblical delineation for love. Now, Scripture shows that there is special care that believers have for one another, this tight, familiar uh, brothers and sisters love. But Scripture also shows that there is love extended to those who are not Christians. Jesus dined with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes and just wicked people who he knew would later betray him, but he Dined with them anyway. Jesus fed 5,000, but read what happens next. 5,000 people didn't follow him. Most said, thanks for the bread and fish, Jesus, I'm out. Right? Jesus loved and served them anyway. And if God has grown us in holiness to make us more like Jesus, we will abound in love for one another and for all. 
so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. By implication, I don't think this is a stretch, but by implication, all the saints at the coming of the Lord Jesus, some of them are not saints yet. Are you, are you tracking with me? Like we see that we have love for one another and for all. We are loving other brothers and sisters in Christ. Now we are loving those who are not Christians now. And then when the Lord Jesus comes, he will bring us all together with all his saints. Some who are going to be in that all the saints are not saints right now. They will be maybe next week because you love them. Right? Maybe next year they become saints because God's Holy Spirit working in you and through them will show off God's grace and they will become saints. Not because of you, because of God working in you and through you. You with me? We can't miss that because we can never say holiness means we detach from everybody. Let's just retreat to the mountains and have our holy little huddle and wait for the Jesus bus to pick us up. That's not going to happen. Scripture shows us that when God comes back, he is bringing people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. If you were following the news in Iraq, I cried this week, bawling, crying, watching brothers and sisters in Christ lose their heads. People we need to love and pray for. And then somebody said, well, Jeremy, shouldn't you pray that the leaders of ISIS will become Christians? Oh, I don't want them to. I can confess in my heart that I want to go machine gun preacher on them. But can you imagine what will happen if this horrific event, because of the posture of humility and holiness of these Christian brothers and sisters in Iraq, can you imagine that God might use this horrific event so the gospel will thrive in Iraq? Look at church history. Look at biblical history. This is nothing new. The first century this happened, all of the original apostles were persecuted for their faith, hung, Boiled, crucified upside down, beheaded, and what happened to the gospel? It thrived. The death of those saints eventually rippled out the gospel to reach the states. You were a Christian because of the testimony of those saints. So friends, tangent, let me rein it back in. We need to pray that God will use the testimony of those who are saints, those who are holy in Christ, to draw unholy people to Christ. The only way unholy people can become holy is in Christ. We can never legislate something to make people holy. The only way you, me, or anyone in the world can become holy is if Christ saves them. That's a global tangent that I want to rein back in before I close. So sanctification is an identity, something we experience in community It's an ongoing work of God in us and through us. It's something that is missional for all. Leading people to Jesus, to lead people to Jesus, is what we say here at Redemption Church. We want to be a gathering of people who who lead people to Jesus, to lead people to Jesus. It's all about Jesus, not us. Not our past, not our present, but God's work in us and through us. He gets the glory, we get the joy, and the good news goes forth. So I want to ask you this. This is our story, the story of redemption from Genesis to Revelation, the story of the first century church that Paul is writing to in Thessalonica. It's the story of the brothers and sisters in Christ who are in Iraq 
undergoing intense persecution. It's the story of believers in this room and in this city. What is your personal story? How does it connect to our story? And how is God's story being expressed through it all? So that he gets the glory, we get the joy, and the gospel goes forth. Let me pray. Father God in heaven, I thank you that you were good to us. I thank you that you are a holy God. I thank you that in your goodness and in your grace, you reach down to rescue wayward people who experience different levels of brokenness, but brokenness just the same. From the most broken, sad, devastated, wicked person to the most uh, put together, good, seemingly good person. God, we all are broken. And we are hopeless and helpless unless you stoop down to rescue us. God, thank you that you are mighty to save. Jesus, thank you that you live the holy, perfect life that we should live but can't. And thank you that in your grace you save and rescue broken people, wicked people, and change them to be saints. God, we know we can't do anything to make ourselves better We can't do anything to make ourselves holy. God, I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would change us to be holy radically. God, we pray that radical things would happen, that we would have radical changes of heart and radical changes of lifestyle because of that change of heart and radical good news being proclaimed and displayed in our lives personally and through this church community. And God, that it would go out to the nations. But God, also, I pray that the changes would also, if you will it, Be progressive. Be one step at a time. God, may we celebrate the small victories of the gospel and not neglect them because we are hoping for something radical. God, I pray for mass repentance, but also pray for steps of repentance and reconciliation. God, small steps to defeat sin, to defeat struggles, to mend brokenness, to heal broken relationships. God, I pray that you would do those things by your Holy Spirit. God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ in this room. I pray that you would draw us to yourself to walk closer with you as your children. I pray that you would draw us closer together as brothers and sisters in the faith, that by your Holy Spirit we would grow in love for one another and encouragement for one another and prayer for one another, that we would be confessing sin to one another, that we'd be humbly quick to repent and quick to receive your grace and quick to proclaim the good news of who you are and what you're doing in our midst. God, I do also pray for your people globally. God, I pray that in the midst of our, uh, our own struggles, we do not neglect the global struggles that our brothers and sisters in Christ are facing. God, all over the globe, God, in Iraq, but also in other countries in the Middle East and in Asia and in Africa and South America. God, even in the States, brothers and sisters in Christ who are struggling uh, with, uh, with expressing their faith. God, I pray for comfort. I pray that your Holy Spirit would bring confidence and boldness to cling to the hope that we have in Christ. I pray that through that clinging to hope, God, whether people live or die, that their reward and joy would be sweet to the bitter end and into eternity with you. And God, that because of their faithfulness, because of your holiness in them and through them, the good news would go forth in ridiculously amazing, mind-blowing ways so that only you get the credit. So that no person or church or organization could claim any credit, but God, that it would be so mind-blowingly supernatural that all we could do is look and say, wow, God is so good. God, I pray that that would happen globally. I pray that it would happen in this community, and I pray that it would happen personally in our hearts. 
God, I ask you to do amazing things in Christ's good name. Amen.